In 2016, I wrote a poem as I worked at a very conservative university run by my very conservative birth church. My office was across the hall from a classroom, and the professors usually left the door open as they taught. On that day, in that class, the professor was holding forth at great length about the need to protect the church, to wall it round with hedges of protection against worldliness. As I listened, I thought, I need to write this down. Nobody will believe me otherwise if I try to summarize it later. This isn't an exact transcript of that professor's sermon, but it's as close as I could make it in the moment. This is what he said. Are you listening? This is how the church falls. You've got little bits of culture seeping in like an oil slick until the evil seems normal. So that TV show, that book, that song, that social media superstar, you might be telling yourself it's harmless. But if you keep telling yourself that and telling yourself that, pretty soon everything will seem harmless and you'll be neck deep in sin. I thank God every day for bringing me out of fornication and idolatry and Sunday worship, but I know this is a waning movement. For so many people, the voice of prophecy means rules, and rules are stuffy. Rules are bad. Wait, what? If you're getting surgery, don't you want the surgeon to follow the rules? So when the Bible tells you homosexuality is evil, when the Bible tells you not to be unequally yoked, when the Bible tells you to destroy the Canaanites and not to make any covenants with them, why do we hem and haw and say, well, the Bible was written a long time ago. It needs context. That is dangerous thinking. The Bible is timeless. If God said it, I'll do it. I turned this professor's words into a poem by interspersing it with the words of an email I received around that time. I have a friend who has a special place in her heart for refugees, and she had crowdsourced enough funds to buy one of her refugee friends a sewing machine. The friend had been a prolific sewist back in Iraq, but she hadn't been able to bring her sewing machine with her to the U.S. So my friend reached out to all of us, and we donated enough money for a new singer machine. I called the poem That Old Time Religion. I wanted it to represent the two sides of traditional religion, the side that condemns and blames and constricts, and the side that loves and uplifts and expands. In case this isn't clear yet, my experiences with my birth church have been very much the first kind of church condemning, blaming, constricting. My experiences with my current beloved faith community have been very much the second kind of church, loving, uplifting, expanding the table, adding more chairs so all who want to can join in the feast. Both churches are their respective ways, particularly when it comes to LGBTQ rights. Growing up in that conservative church, for my sex education, I was given a book that carefully explained that while some men might experience attraction to one another, and some women might feel the same way, this was by no means God's plan for mankind. I was taught that God created us male and female, and that was the end of the story. There was no talk of transgender folks, of intersex, or genderqueer, or genderfluid, or agender, or non-binary people. There was certainly no mention of asexual or pansexual or bisexual folks. 
There was no careful explanation of the differences between sex and gender, or gender identity and gender expression, or gender expression and sexual orientation. On the rare occasions that contraception was mentioned, it was clearly explained as something married couples could use. And I was one of the lucky ones. My boyfriend in college went to a non-denominational high school, where he was taught about sex with the metaphors of a rose losing its petals, and tape slowly losing its stickiness by being stuck to multiple things, and a balloon being popped, and gum that had been chewed by multiple people. I was out of school and in the workforce at that same conservative college I mentioned at the top of the episode, before I saw the tired old, multiple people spit in a glass of water, who wants to drink it now, illustration, being trotted out for students. I was one of the lucky ones because I followed the Vlogbrothers on YouTube, and they introduced me to Dr. Lindsay Doe, a sexologist who patiently walked me through the differences in how we sense and express our gender and sexuality. I was lucky because my friends in college watched My Drunk Kitchen, hosted by Hannah Hart, and through Hannah, I got the language that would eventually help me identify my own sexuality. Oh, by the way, I am, as one of my priests likes to say, a bisexual. Your immediate question might be, wasn't it hell working at that conservative college while being bi? Yes, my friends, yes it was. My office had a massive window across one whole wall of it, where I was visible at all times. But I had a little closet off one side of my office that I could go into when I needed to cry, which I did, frequently. This is the same job I mentioned in episode 3. The same job that, after I left, people kept contacting me and asking if I would consider coming back. I tried to say no nicely every time, but inwardly I was raging. Inwardly, every time they asked me to return, those old feelings kept welling up. Fear, helplessness, depression, frustration. I still live in the same town as that old job, and my new job is about 10 minutes away from it. Sometimes it would be faster to take a shortcut past my old workplace, but in the two years since I left, I've only done that once. I survived, but boy, were those three minutes of driving rough. Even now, two years later, whenever I interact with the public at work or at the grocery store or at the public library, I find myself scanning the person for jewelry. Members of my birth church generally don't wear jewelry, so if the person I'm talking to is wearing jewelry, I can relax and trust them a little more. We will gently ignore, for now, the nightmare I had recently, where I was in a crowd of strangers, all of them wearing jewelry. I was busy relaxing, thinking that the people around me were safe, when someone told me, Oh, by the way, everyone here belongs to your birth church. They just all made the decision to wear jewelry for some reason. I think the complex matters of gender and sexuality are threatening to my birth church, and a lot of other people too, for two reasons. First, if your belief system is based on sola scriptura, you're going to be in for a rough time. Are transgender folks mentioned in the Bible? How about bisexual folks? No? Okay then. There's your evidence of a recently developed sin right there. Second, sometimes it can seem like our understanding of gender and sexuality are always changing. 
get used to the concept of bisexuality one minute, and the next you're being asked to take in the idea of pansexuality. Accept the reality of non-binary individuals, and then suddenly a gender-fluid person pops up and asks for recognition. Now, I'd like to recognize, first of all, that this happens in science all the time. Our understanding of plate tectonics, of quantum entanglement, of what does and doesn't work in economies, is always changing, sometimes in increments, sometimes by leaps and bounds. And to be clear, some people do have a problem with this because, again, it challenges the faith they've placed in the Bible's descriptions of the natural world. But as one of my lesbian priest friends likes to say, the Bible doesn't have to describe electricity for us to accept it, study it, and use it. As a recent Twitter thread explored, the Bible only mentions bathroom activities twice, in 1 Samuel 24 verse 3 and 1 Kings 18 verse 27, if you're curious. But I think we can reasonably assume those activities happen in Bible times just as frequently as they do today. The Bible doesn't describe gasoline or solar eclipses, but they exist, and it's okay to be fine with that. The Bible is not an encyclopedia. It is not an exhaustive compendium of all of human knowledge or experience. It is between 66 and 78 accounts of God's interactions with humans, depending on what church you belong to. All things considered, that's not a lot. And when you take into account the homogeneity of the Bible's authors, it becomes fairly clear that the Bible doesn't really represent a broad swath of humanity's experiences or knowledge. So, for me, it comes down to this. When we say we're speaking on God's behalf, are our biases at work? Are we operating out of our own assumptions and beliefs and distastes which have been handed down to us by society? Or are we noticing and carrying out one of the Bible's most liberating themes, that of moving from a strict, rules-based, prejudiced society to a more inclusive, welcoming, loving society? I saw a quote on Facebook recently from Bixby Knowles that sums up this biblical truth. It states, The Bible is clear. Moabites are bad. They were not to be allowed to dwell among God's people, Deuteronomy 23. But then comes the story of Ruth, the Moabite, which challenges the prejudice against Moabites. The Bible is clear. People from us are evil, Jeremiah 25. But then comes the story of Job, a man from us who was the most blameless man on earth. The Bible is clear. No foreigners or eunuchs allowed, Deuteronomy 23. But then comes the story of an African eunuch welcomed into the church, Acts 8. The Bible is clear. God's people hated Samaritans. But then Jesus tells a story that shows not all Samaritans were bad. The story may begin with prejudice, discrimination, and animosity, but the Spirit moves God's people towards openness, welcome, inclusion, acceptance, and affirmation. We close this episode of Hot Bread and Other Heresies with a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. It's number three for the human family. It reads, O God, you made us in your own image and redeemed us through Jesus your Son. 
Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love and work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth. That in your good time, all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.